Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 242 for Monday, April 24th, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but as you may know him on the internet, Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello, and we've been having a lively conversation in the render distance this week, which is the extended version of the podcast. You can get that if you're a patron of the show at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks, and you can learn about my opinions on the Dungeons & Dragons movie, other movies and shows that we've been interested in watching lately, and Joel's experience with Dutch babies. Trust me, it's not as weird as it sounds. Once again, that's patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to get an extra 15 minutes or so pre-show and an extra 10 minutes or so post-show with your Spawn Chunks every week. You also get access to our patron events. We had our monthly Minecraft hangout this past Saturday, April 22nd, which is going to be published later today on the Patreon page if you didn't get to hang out with us live. That's going to show up before the main podcast does, so by the time you're listening to this, it should be out there for everybody who's a patron to listen to. So what have you been up to in Minecraft this week, my friend? Well, my week has been all going into castle building. Uh, All my Empire's effort, creative mode play, and Uh, survival play has all been working towards what I'm now regularly referring to as Castle Grayscale, uh, which I I thought was a pretty great sort of pun on the fact that yes it's it's mainly in like a gray and black palette and gray scale kind of imagines you know the draconic references maybe kind of sounds a little bit game of thronesy i hadn't even thought that it's also a pun on castle grayskull until somebody pointed that out to me and i went <laughs> that's well that's just that perfect now yeah. yeah it just has to be that so yeah i've been working on this castle design and building it bit by bit i've obviously had the blueprint i've shared images of that before and i only have the one screenshot to share today for the show notes but the entrance now has two towers flanking on either side it has two towers behind the main gatehouse a lot of sections connected by walls and then two outer towers which are more of a uh, a skewed rectangle shape instead of being round towers so i'm really starting to work in some of the architectural style that i'm trying to get from something that isn't just a round tower with uh, matriculations and arches and stuff around the outside the ornaments on the top I'm, i'm working with more like hip roofs and that kind of thing so a little bit architecturally diverse starting to creep in here instead of it all just being stone towers with stone tops and i haven't got to the point where i'm adding in turrets and minarets and stuff yet but we will we'll see how we get on as we progress through the rest of the structure this all leads through to a courtyard which i'm now in the process of working on but that's still in the early days so more on that when i have more to share but i'm i'm planning on building kind of a stockade inside of there as though the castle has had a bunch of defenses put up against people invading at some stage but the exact outcome of that invasion has yet to be played out as far as what i want to show in terms of building it so really i'm just working on a bunch of stuff that i can put together with an easy accessible set of materials which is why a lot of it's stone and deep slate and the kind of stuff that i've been dragging out of the ground and putting in my storage system all season long Dude, this looks fantastic. And uh, again, we talked last week about the scale, uh, the the diameter of these towers. But then I'm also curious about the depth of the walls, because I know you've got at least a block or two of depth happening as the walls go up, they go in, then they come back out again before you reach the top and the battlements and stuff. So uh, how how thick are your your walls in general? Uh, in general, if it's like the perimeter wall, I've left a three block gap inside of it. Um, Mm. But then when it comes to the towers themselves, I'm building 
straight up and then adding onto the outside more often than right. I am like sculpting it inwards and then back outwards again. So right. a lot of the time, if I put up a flat wall, I'm augmenting that in front of it and I've left myself enough space on this plateau around the outside so that I can put a bunch of supports and buttresses and rubble from the towers and stuff like that and it can all sort of spill out forwards instead of pushing things backwards to create depth. I'm more pulling the rest of it out and so that's left me a lot of leeway even when I wasn't planning to have a three block thick wall for the entire circumference of a tower um, and so that's worked out pretty well so far. The other thing I want to point out, we've been talking about this in the past with how to do the scale of certain builds and the fact that when you build roofs, you always want to build them with stairs and slabs and things that add a little bit more texture and make the roof feel more of like a slope. And I've been playing on such a large scale with these builds that it's been easier for me to incorporate full blocks into roof designs. Right. And this was a really great example for the, the rectangular rectangular octagonal uh rectangular <laughs> towers i'm inventing words to try and figure out what on earth i'm doing here for the square ones the square ones what i did because they're an angled build because the walls effectively right. are built in three block chunks and then it goes back a block and another three block and then back a block and then another and it does that all the way around so you end up with an angle that's not like quite a 45 degree angle it's more of just like a kind of a gradual angle maybe like 20 degrees or so and and that works out really well until you get to the roof especially if you want to do anything with more detailed blocks because suddenly you've got stairs that are going to connect at weird angles and you have to remember to do it with symmetry for the opposite side and like where things are going to connect up and where you put the slabs and stuff i find that stuff becomes really messy really quickly and even building with full blocks I thought for a second, how on earth am I going to do all of this? Because, you know, it has to come in in three block sections, but where do those slope towards? Do I do kind of like a gable end to it? But that's going to look kind of weird because it's split up into these three separate wall sections and any roof is going to start either overhanging stuff weirdly or it's just not going to work out. But eventually what I ended up doing was just continuing to build three blocks up from each of the adjoining roof sections and build up towards a central point but do that consistently all the way around in layers and eventually the roof kind of shaped itself without really needing to worry so much about where it was going to connect i just let it connect where it was about to naturally and then just kept going around and from every angle of this it looks so satisfying and i thought i've been worrying so much and, and like i always psych myself out when it comes to roof design these just came together so immediately that i just thought wow okay I'm, I'm glad i didn't do that in survival i was building all of this in creative first and i feel like i saved myself a whole lot of time by doing that nice uh i i really enjoy that trick of like taking something and instead of trying to make it on a specific angle it's like you're um it's not an isometric kind of cheat but it, it's it's a it's a way of like instead of rotating the ends of a build you're only just you're you're kind of skewing something as opposed to properly rotating you know because yeah. we all know what a 45 degree building in minecraft looks like everything's you know all the blocks are kind of like on, a, on an angle including your ends of your rectangle but what you've done is just kind of like nudged it back by a block each time and it's the same we'll call it like a slice like a 3d printed slice uh, of the build which makes it easier to build and easier to to attach to things but man talk about a successful way of of doing it it looks fantastic and i'm seeing like you've got 
um, iron bars looks like across the top of everything. And the, the level of detail for me, especially on the, on the big towers, but also within like the walls that you've got too, it's like, you've got enough depth that you're able to put in details with full stair blocks and full blocks, you know, or full slabs. So it comes mm -hmm. out, there's a bunch of cool stairs that are like either back to back or upside down or like creating little like uh, cross shapes in the negative space between them uh, or fleur de lis, depending on, you know, how you're, how you're seeing it. Like that kind of level of, of detail is something that you can only achieve when you've got a tower that's 15 or 18 or whatever wide. Um, and then you've also got the, the, the chunkiness of everything is kind of consistent throughout, which just, it's really looking great, man. I can't wait to see more of it. Yeah, thanks. I'm hoping that I'll get more of it built this week and I'll have a lot more to show people next week's show. But I'll also include the footprint, the sort of original layout of the castle so that people can kind of see where this is coming in. It's on the left-hand side of the picture where I've got a bunch of rounded towers laid out and then the footprints of the uh, rectangular towers are oh, a little bit yes. more visible there. So now I'm working on the, the large courtyard space behind that has some walls that lead into a main entrance hall and... Um, yeah, I'm designing the gateway for that and then where that's going to lead to and probably work on some interior stuff when I get bored of building exteriors. But so far, my focus on this project has been pretty good. And having, again, been taking a lot of inspiration from Elden Ring, I think I've got enough experience with that environment lately that I can go in, start building stuff, look up a couple of reference images, but more or less know what I'm doing. And the layout starts to come naturally to me, which is in that flow state <laughs> that I've been yes. trying to achieve for this long mm -hmm. with projects like this. I think I'm, I'm finally there. So looking forward to doing a lot more work on it this week. It's really good when you hit that stage of, I mean, one Minecraft lends itself to kind of medieval building with all the stone and wood. But then once you've realized, you know, you've got your block palette, you've got your standard wall depth, we'll call it, you know, we've got, you've got your, um, uh, like little palette of decorations that you know how to do or that you know you want to echo throughout the build and then then things just start to flow a lot more organically you know you build a build two towers and then connecting them with a wall you have to kind of you want to do something artistically but you're not necessarily worrying about the technical stuff right like once you've worked out how to connect a wall and a tower technically the first time you can kind of like repeat that and kind of like tackle little challenges as they come without having to like plan the whole thing and creative and, and having that flow. That's what I got into and why the bridge project that I'm on in, in West Hill is so long lived is because I got down the rabbit hole of like, Ooh, if I just connect this to this thing and mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're building like bridges and towers and roofs and nothing was <laughs> previously planned. This, the bridge was just supposed to be a bridge. <laughs> it didn't have towers when I was first designing it. So it's funny how that kind of stuff just kind of like creeps into it, but it's fun when you can lean into it. Like when you've got the time, and you know it's gonna it's working out the way that you want visually when you have that creative bug and you can just kind of like put the pedal to the floor and just go for it right yeah that's the the state i'm in right now thankfully and hoping it continues um so this is the same bridge you were talking about last week then the one with those you know going up a ridge effectively on one side of the town how's that going so i've decided to um simplify my approach quite a bit uh, what I did was I was trying to create an angle on the wall that connected to the uh, curtain wall. So the problem that I went into was basically the curtain wall was designed and built. This bridge was then added later. And when I decided to add towers to the bridge and I really liked it, it looked really silly that the tower for the bridge and the tower for the curtain wall were so close together and not connected. It looked kind of like an odd choice. 
So I thought, well, I have to make this look more intentional. I have to make it look like it's connected. And so the solution was to take the brown roofs that you see on all of my towers that dot along the curtain wall and apply those to the bridge. So the bridge complex at the top got a lot bigger, but it now sort of serves like a gate gatehouse. There's no official like door that comes down, but there's two towers on either side of the entrance to this bridge coming down into the valley, which makes it feel very protected. It makes it feel like you're passing into an area. Like when you come through this bridge, you are in West Hill, you know, that kind of idea. Mm -hmm. And then everything West is just a road that kind of goes over the hills. And so um, the solution was to straighten up the wall. Uh, it was to take an older tower that I had already completed and basically cut the top off it and raise it by like six blocks. Like I made it a lot taller and that made the angle of the wall that kind of goes down to connect to the curtain wall feel a lot grander. It felt a lot taller and it provided more connections inside and true to the other things that I've been doing. You can now walk from the inside of the curtain wall across the pedway up a tower and across this wall. The only thing that I've not done, which I've not done on purpose, is that from the bridge, from the, the gate to the bridge, you cannot get up to the curtain wall. So the idea is that like there's no hole in the defense because then like access to the entire town would be like one wooden door mm -hmm. and, and yeah. you could go and get your whole way in. So the, you can get up to the towers of the bridge that are connected to the bridge, but then there's another tower that has only access from the curtain wall. And so it's kind of a fun Easter egg for anybody that explores the town and decides to walk across all my different pedways and realize, wow, I can get all the way to the bridge from here. And there's no way down. Like you just, you're in a tower looking out through windows, but it's kind of a fun thing to kind of lay in there. But that allowed me once those decisions were in, like everything else kind of came quite quickly because I've already got a design, you know, pattern for the insides of these towers, the rafters, the supports, where the lanterns go. So I didn't have to like think too much about that. It was basically just like filling in a coloring book once the outsides were done. Um, and I added another tower on, I guess it would be the north side. So I just, again, I copied it over. I already knew the textures, the blocks. So like these kind of things took like, you know, a couple of minutes, like half an hour, that kind of thing. Um, and then everything went back to a grinding halt. <laughs> Because mm, uh -huh. I'm realizing that the cliffs, you know, what was missing and the problem that I'm having is that I'm trying to decide how to decorate and put some some detail work in the side, the profile of the bridge, which is a very big mass of stone brick right now. It will eventually get like mossy and cracked and stuff like that. But I cannot decide for the life of me how to detail it. So I thought, well, what I should really do one to save myself some time and also to book in this is the deck of the bridge is done. That's all textured. That was an easy task. Uh, I'm now working on the cliffs, the custom cliffs on the outside of it, which involve adding like some deep slate. I'm experimenting with that to have the, the bridge stand out better. I'm actually adding like a little bits of grass that have like um, bushes and vines hanging over the edge, like all that kind of stuff. Because uh, if I finish that part, with the deck done and the foliage done, then really I'll have like a, a sliver of the bridge where I'm like, okay, now this is what I have left to work with. What is going to be the best way to decorate this bridge? That's not going to uh, interfere with what I have down below. I'm still struggling with block choices. And as much as I like the experience of walking up the bridge deck, the choice to make it all slabs means it's really difficult to have like a nice clean line going up the outside of the bridge. So I'm actually looking again at the screenshot that you shared of, of your uh, castle grayscale 
because of the different ways that you're using stairs, you know, like upside down or sideways to try and get some inlays. I experimented with that a little bit on on my bridge and it, it didn't work out quite the way that I wanted, but I need to take another crack at it and maybe steal some techniques from you um, because I feel like that is what it needs. It needs some sort of relief. It needs some sort of like depth change and it's big enough and beefy enough that I can do it because uh, underneath of it, it's just completely, it's either got an arch over the river or underneath the, um, the main part that's on the cliff, it's just solid. So I've mm -hmm. got lots of room for depth should I decide to add some. Um, the only thing that I've managed to add is just a couple of drain holes where it would look like any water on the deck would kind of run off and drip down into the river. But um, so it's coming along. It just I've done seven streams now and I call them like, you know, the bridge part seven or whatever. But really, like I'm now on to like custom cliffs. And I mean, you and I both know how long that takes. It's fun. Yeah, it's rewarding. But it's just like it's your whole stream. It's two hours or three hours of like flying in making some changes flying away looking back does it look good yes no you know rinse and repeat and um it's doable um i did find that i've kind of gone back to using ender pearls right now because it's a lot easier to travel short distances than when the rocket is too much <laughs> to get you yeah. uh over the river like you just throwing an ender pearl is usually the easiest thing so i'm glad that we have an enderman farm now so like when i run into those things i can just go get like another few dozen and, and i'll be good but um it's coming together it's just it's one of those things that I really like it. I really like the view of it, but it's just kind of like delayed the, you know, finishing touches on West Hill because like, I really want this to be something that's finished and looks good because it's outside of the town. It's at the front of the town. So like, it's going to be a big part of your experience of West Hill. So I'm basically just kind of realizing I have to slow down. Don't rush it. Take my time. Try not to get frustrated and just like make sure that this is finished and, and looks good. But um, it's getting there. It's just, it's a slow process. Yeah, for sure. It's so, it's so funny to me that somehow both of us have been talking about these projects for a while, but now we're both kind of building medieval at the same time. Yeah, and mm -hmm. it's it's not something that I've ever considered necessarily what I was doing on empires until I just started building a big castle and was like, well, there's no way around it now. <laughs> we're both kind of building these stone monstrosities for better or for worse. But no, I think it's looking good. I think yeah, like a couple of the things you've been considering doing with the bridge, definitely go for it and. Honestly, just a little bit of depth can solve a lot of problems, even when you're building with one material. It really comes down to the shape of things more so than the texture of things mm -hmm. with some of those. And that's the approach I took when I was building the museum build that's on Empires now that I copied in my survival guide world. It's all about getting the shape right, and then whatever you do texture-wise is just kind of icing on the cake at that stage. And I think the the thing for me is that I'm I'm working on a much smaller scale. You know, so I've got some limitations in, in that way. Um, and it's on purpose because I, I didn't want this build to take five years. Instead, I've only wanted it to take two and a half. Because if I was building, I can't imagine, like if I was building the town scale at the same scale that you're building just your castle, right? <laughs> uh, like it would be, it would be just massive. Like the, each tower would take weeks to complete. Because um, I'm, because I only play live on stream. Like I don't, I don't play uh, off camera. Sure, um, yeah. Yeah, so so um, the challenge, it's funny too, like to see the different styles that you and I have come up with, both building medieval, but you know, you obviously being inspired by, um, I'm blanking on the game. Um, and Elden Ring. Elden Ring. Yeah. yeah and, and, uh, and then me mostly taking inspiration from like Lego or like miniatures, like tabletop miniature castles and things like yeah. that that people build and and how simple they are and so a lot of my stuff tends to be very straight and very simple i'm a bit of a minimalist anyway when it comes to design so 
Um, I'm glad I went that road because otherwise this stuff would take me forever. But when I do get a chance to flex, you know, my, my scale with this bridge or now eventually with the keep, I mean, I'm again, I'm looking at what you're doing and thinking like, okay, there's a couple of towers on this keep and I think I'm going to like double the diameter of them just to give myself some room to really make it feel important. Because I think that's something that you, you've you done really well with with Castle Grayscale is that, I mean, yes, there's all this wonderful depth and detail and, and stuff like that, but the, the scale of it and what you're achieving with it, like it immediately in the landscape feels important mm-hmm. compared to everything else. And, and I think that that's what I want to try to do with my keep is that I, when I get there is I want to make sure that yes, the town looks cool, but holy smokes, is there a centerpiece? Like that's sure, kind of what yeah. I want to get there. So um, we'll get there eventually, but it's uh, it's fun. Like I, for folks that, you know, either haven't yet or have been resisted because everybody does it, the whole medieval style thing. If if you want kind of a nice way to hit that flow, I mean, it's it, Minecraft really lends itself to it. It really does. The fact that we can both build in two different medieval styles or like, yeah, yeah. kind of approach it from two different angles is is really quite something. And there'll be more room to do that when uh, 1.20 comes out because there's all kinds of interesting new features that are going to come along that I'm sure will enhance medieval builds and all kinds of other things besides. This week we had a snapshot, so we might as well just get into the news now. Speaking of changes, yeah, Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 23W16A came out last week. In this week's snapshot, we're bringing you tweaks in the Trails Ruins, new command functionality and new advancement triggers and more. Changes in 23W16A, all pottery shards have been renamed to pottery sherds, S-H-E-R-D-S. If a vibration is scheduled to be received by a skulk sensor or skulk shrieker, they will stay queued until an adjacent chunk is loaded and is ticking. This prevents vibration resonance setups from breaking when unloading their chunks from a distance. The game's application icon has been updated. The icon will be a grass block in release versions and a dirt block in snapshot versions. Sniffers can now be tempted by torch flower seeds, so if you hold one, they will follow you around. Trail ruins have seen some changes. Trail ruin structures have been reworked based on community feedback with more structure variants. Sand no longer generates within the trail ruin structures. The amount of gravel and dirt in trail ruins have been tweaked. The amount of suspicious gravel has also been tweaked. The loot tables for suspicious gravel within trail ruins has been split. There is now a dedicated loot table for rare loot items, pottery sherds, and smithing templates, and a dedicated loot table for more common loot, like tinted glass panes, tools, candles, etc. When exploring trail ruin structures in a previous snapshot world in the new snapshot, an error might be shown indicating a trail ruin is missing part of its new structure. Technical changes in 23W16A. The data pack version is now 14, accounting for item display orientation changes. Under commands, added a return command. The return command can be used to control execution flow inside functions and change their return value. Under advancements, the recipe crafted advancement trigger has been added. This triggers when crafting recipe. Under tags, the villager plantable seeds is there to represent which kind of seeds villagers can farm. And maintains farmland has been added to represent which blocks will not cause farmland to be converted back into dirt when placed on top of it. Under display entity rendering changes, item display has been rotated 180 degrees around the y-axis to better match transformation applied when rendering items on the armor stand head 
and in item frames. For a more in-depth explanation on the new commands, triggers, and tags, visit the Minecraft.net article linked in our show notes. The other major news, of course, is the launch of Minecraft Legends. There's a Minecraft.net article, Minecraft Legends is here, which we'll have linked in our show notes. It launched on April 18th, which was last Tuesday, and is available now on Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4 and 5, Steam, Windows 10 and 11, PC Game Pass, Xbox Game Pass, Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One, and Xbox Cloud Gaming. We're going to be dedicating most of the main discussion for this episode to our thoughts on the full release of Minecraft Legends. But for now, we can talk a little about the snapshot. So something that I thought was interesting was villagers being able to plant and farm ancient seeds is an interesting idea. Yeah, it's not something that's an official feature as of this snapshot, but it's something you could do with that villager plantable seeds tag, right? So you could effectively data pack it in that they can plant torch flowers and, and um, pitcher pods. Oh, I thought that was part of it. I thought... Is it is it not? Have I have I missed something back in there? I could be misunderstanding it as well. I, the way that these things are worded is not always the best. Uh, I Between this and a couple of videos that I watch, I thought that villagers could plant those seeds. I don't know whether they can pick them up but I think they could plant them. I, if they can plant them, just kind of going with that premise, whether it's a data pack or not, uh, that could be really interesting because then you could have sniffers like digging up the seeds. And if you can find a way to harvest those seeds, maybe with like a, a, a minecart hopper underneath the block uh, and distribute them to villagers, if they would then, then plant them, then you wouldn't have to be there to pick up the, the sniffer seeds you could just let villagers plant them and then all you'd have to do is return to your planted ground and harvest the um, pitcher plants or the torch flowers depending on what seeds they've been digging up and it depends whether villagers would then pick up the torch flowers or pitcher pods afterwards because they do that for food crops but they don't necessarily have any decorative crops with which to do that so it's whether or not the villagers would like take any dropped flowers and put them in their inventories or if they just leave them on the ground to uh, collect automatically again there's there's some interesting um yeah potential for automation there which i which i quite like also really happy about the sherds change just because i know we have a couple of archaeologists in our community archaeo plays who's been on the show before among them who are incredibly happy that sherds which is the the term that i understand is used for pottery uh, fragments when uh, shards is much more commonly used for glass objects so the distinction between those two is really important in the in the archaeology field and uh, the the changes is welcomed by the archaeology community on that score I yeah I agree uh, and from you know a Minecraft education space like we've I've seen you know Minecraft used for you know exercises in classrooms for young students where they're exploring pyramids and stuff like that and now to have you know pottery shards with the correct term you know mm -hmm. i think that lines up with a lot of uses in that case i am surprised so far this episode i have not misspoken and called them shards because in the <laughs> you're doing very well in, yeah. in the common tongue uh pottery shards make sense to me right but i'm not an archaeologist so uh, i i appreciate that there's a new term we have to leave you know it's the same with i was talking about this on stream on the weekend it's the same with propagules like you could have easily just called them mangrove saplings and everybody yeah. would have known what you meant but because they're propagules and because there's it's a funny word so it's easy to remember because it's a weird word uh that because of that you kind of have to like learn a new thing and it's one of those things where like you know that there's a lot of maybe arborists or, or naturalists out there that would have been like you know wagging their finger at mojang going like nay nay they're not saplings <laughs> you know like mm -hmm. please please call them what they are and to a point like there's always that fine line of like 
do you want to call it what it's actually called? In this case, it's a small change. Um, but you know, or do you want to call it something where the general populace is going to like understand what it is from a gameplay mechanic, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, in Archaeoplaces' video, when um, the archaeology features were first added in snapshot form, they were saying that working with kids, like for you know, museum groups and stuff who would come around and talking about um, candles, they would say, you know, where do you think people get wax from candles? And before minecraft introduced bees they would say earwax a lot of the time because that's like the <laughs> the type of wax that they interact with most on a daily basis Gross. but but since uh, <laughs> but since uh minecraft added bees and bees honeycomb while not strictly speaking wax in the in the gameplay sense or at least in the game's terminology since that has been used to make candles now they always answer bees because minecraft has taught them that's where the wax from candles comes from a lot of the time so there's genuinely examples out there of minecraft being a formative part of kids education on certain topics that are represented within the game and yeah i i think that's a really important thing for them to get the terminology right so that when they get into a closer study of things like archaeology they can be provided with a good foundation from which to work and i can imagine a bunch of archaeologists not only being happy that the the terminology is in the game but that kids will be learning this and will be taking this terminology to their you know field trips and museum visits and all that kind of stuff and know what the correct terminology is from the get-go i think that's that's really cool so yeah hats off to them just for making that very minor like single letter change that's just got all of the the archaeology community celebrating the other stuff that i thought was interesting was uh definitely again in, in line with data packs was the idea of like what blocks maintain farmland uh and if it's a tag then it's something that can be potentially changed by a data pack which we you know were reinformed of via email uh, a week or two ago and it's as 1.20 approaches i'm reevaluating what data packs i have what data packs i might want to use you know to make some more sense out of some things that are coming down the line and uh the idea of being able to change which blocks turn farmland back into dirt maybe you want to plant grass on farmland and then that will prevent it from turning back into dirt so you can have like a different kind of texture underneath different flowers and stuff or uh, things in your area um i don't know i have not tried it but i imagine if you did that grass would look like it was kind of floating above the farmland because of that pixel difference that the farmland has in depth Mm -hmm. um but then you know if the data pack also allows you to kind of nudge that down below then you know um it could it could look really really good and for folks that want to have that creative liberty um feeling like you know that doesn't really break the game experience for them it's just like a different way to have things on farmland it would make sense that grass could grow up through farmland if you wanted it to um then it opens up you know some new you know landscaping possibilities with a simple data pack and um, I uh, have it on my bucket list to kind of learn how to actually make data packs rather than just relying on other people making them and then relying on those also being updated when Minecraft updates. So uh, I'm curious to see what there might be out there to like smooth over the quality of life experience when things um, very often I find, you know, with Mojang making changes, they get like 80 or 90 percent of the way there. And there's a good chunk of the community that goes, oh, you just you almost had it. <laughs> if we could just push it that little bit more and that i think is where data packs can kind of come in and save the day 
Yeah, I mean, thinking about uh, maintaining farmland, just think about anything that you would substitute in to look like a sprinkler or a more modern irrigation system as opposed to just having a cubic meter of water in the middle of your farmland. And suddenly you've got a lot more like modern farming potential there. You could just say like, you know, a cobblestone wall, for example, if you want to put one of those in the center and maybe attach like tripwire hooks or something to the outside of it to make it look like it's got a four-way sprinkler, then you could make your farm look a bit more like Stardew Valley and a little bit less like Minecraft. I think you could do a lot more interesting stuff with that just by tweaking things a little bit and understanding your own rules for how uh, farmland stays hydrated and stuff. I think it's it's good. Moving on into email this week. If you would like to email the show, send it to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. Try to keep them brief if you can. And if you're on topic, then you might make it on the show. Uh, this first one comes in from Elkhorn95, who's a landscape artist member of our Discord and has been one of our supporters for a very long time. So thank you so much for emailing in. The subject is dot updates and the flattening. Hi, Johnny and Joel. Set your Wayback Machine to 1.13, the update aquatic, and recall the flattening, a major change to the underlying code that changed IDs from numbers to descriptors and eliminated character limits, allowing for longer block names and expanding the potential block inventory. We saw an immediate impact with the addition of prismarine slabs and stairs, a taste of things to come in 1.14 when we got slabs, stairs and walls for a whole host of existing blocks with a few glaring exceptions, looking at you cracked stone brick slabs and stairs and you quartz walls. Since then, we've gotten new blocks like blackstone with the full array of sub-blocks and even a new tile block variant for deep slate. Some of the older blocks are still lacking those sub-block variants and other new blocks that could use them aren't given them, tough, calcite, concrete, etc. With the update cycle change of smaller bug fixing dot updates like 119.2.3.4, wouldn't those be a great place to start adding these sub-blocks in? Instead of just bug fixes or quality of life updates, Mojang could fill out missing block variants. Here's a bunch of bug fixes and hey, quartz walls. Mighty curious to hear your thoughts on the concept. Elkhorn95 was blown up by a creeper trying to crack stone brick slabs and stairs. I had actually thrown in a mighty earlier on in Elkhorn's name, but then realized that <laughs> uh, that he did it later on uh, uh, on his own. So I, I didn't want to double down on on the mighty reference. So you have to you have to swing by my streams for, for people to know what that means. Um, I uh, I think this is, makes a lot of sense. You know, like I think that. The dot releases are an excellent way for updating blocks that you know Elkhorn has has outlined, um, and it could be like a trickle release. Like you don't have to do them all in one. Uh, you could say you know put in a little bit at a time, release them when they make sense. Uh, maybe if you're updating the Nether with a few things in a dot release, then also include those updates to quartz walls because that's where we find quartz. Or maybe if you're updating a bunch of other things like calcite and other white blocks then maybe also update quartz you know at the same time something that would make sense for um chicking you know off all those things at once not like every stair slab variant but like a lot of them you know it would be nice for example to have natural stone walls that would be nice we've got stairs and slabs but not the walls and i think that you know there are a few things like that that I think always tempt me about modded Minecraft, you know, when you want to have all those different variants at your fingertips and you get very used to it very quickly. And then you go back to playing vanilla, even with data packs, you're like, man, there's definitely some things that are missing for me. I mean, I, I use data packs mostly on the Citadel for recipe stuff. So I don't really give myself a lot of new blocks. I think the one exception would be the coarse dirt slab, um, which again, just helps the, 
landscape that I makes, you know, feel smoother when I, when I want it to. Um, I think the tricky thing about the dot releases, as we'll see in our next email is the constant March forward that happens with Minecraft. Instead of updating twice a year, it might update several times, you know, with dots coming in between major releases. Um, and if the players get what they want, which seems to be in, you know, as Alcorn pointed out, you know, these variations in blocks, then there could be, you know, two, three, and four versions of a release of Minecraft before the next one updates. That means that, you know, mod makers and data pack makers have to update with every release of Minecraft for it to function correctly. So it puts a little bit more pressure on that community to kind of like keep up to speed, which can be the case sometimes, but is not always. Yeah, we, we kind of have yet to see what the real impact is going to be on the modding community for these smaller releases. And it's definitely the case on Empires that we've run into issues where we can't update really past 119.1. We got there very late, like we got there when 119.4 was really coming out and we planned to update all the way, but then something happened to the way shields are rendered that means the custom shields that we've textured into the game have just been completely broken by updating our mod to 119.4 so we've just ended up not doing it and like that that's not going to have a huge impact on us generally but if you consider the knock-on effect that has on the entire modded minecraft community it's kind of an interesting thought i'm also still kind of curious what the internal reasons are for not having certain types of walls because there's been a decision made at some stage that we're not putting resources into this and that maybe you know the artists are just needed elsewhere and maybe like other stuff just needs to be done but we have diorite andesite and granite walls but not the polished variants of those is it just that the texture didn't really work didn't really feel like it added anything next to like a stone brick wall for example i'm, I'm just kind of curious where the the thought process goes there and it's funny because prismarine bricks are another outstanding thing like prismarine bricks and the tile prismarine texture the dark prismarine don't have any walls but they do have slabs and stairs and prismarine brick stairs look really weird because it's using the same texture it would apply to a six-sided cube but it gets indented by the section that's cut out of the stairs and then the lines in the different bricks just don't line up if you look at it from certain angles the texture just looks completely wrong and none of it really matches up. But those still exist. So it doesn't seem to be like the texture doesn't work for this block model and it's egregiously noticeable that that's different. It's more just, you know, withholding it for, for other reasons internally, whether just lack of resources or they just don't feel like those should exist at this stage. And I, I am like always curious about whether or not that's the case but i don't know who to ask whether it's the right question to ask because i imagine a lot of it's just going to be a shrug um there was a really interesting uh short that they posted on the youtube channel for minecraft not too long ago which was samuel Orberg, who does the uh, sound design for a lot of minecraft or at least heads the sound design team i'm not sure how many people work on that as well as him at this point um also did the sound for minecraft legends but he was answering a question from the community and people were saying why don't we have more ambience in overworld biomes like why don't we get more ambience in you know overworld environments the way we now have it in the nether and in caves and a few other places and he said yeah i really want to do it like i'm hoping it's something we can prioritize in future so it's not like there are dissenting voices throughout the entire thing and everyone's following the same company line on this is why we're not doing it i imagine there are people internally who want to have all of the walls and slabs and stairs of all the different materials as well but for whatever reason um the 
creative decision has been made not to include those yet. I wonder if it's just a personnel issue. Like Mojang is not a, a huge development team, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of video games. And I'm wondering if it's just like they've got a number of priorities they have to work on. They've got these releases that, and new features that they're they're working on. There's obviously a roadmap uh, and maybe just personnel, like personnel wise, maybe just the resources are tapped, you know, and they just they have to kind of give things a certain priority and if you have time <laughs> you can work on your and polished and slight walls you know which by the way um because of the data pack that i have uh for uh, mini blocks where i trade with the wandering trader for little head size versions of all the blocks in the game uh, there's a polished and version and it looks really slick on the top of any wall because it looks like a little ornament you know like it looks like a little um uh, like a banister top. I can't remember what they're mm -hmm. called. Like a finial uh, like, on a curtain yes, rail or something like thank that. You. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's exactly what it looks like. Um, but, you know, and, and the polished andesite texture looks just fine. And if it was on the wall behind it or underneath it, then you could absolutely have like, you know, andesite, uh, you know, polished andesite block into polished andesite wall into, for me, you know, polished andesite head block, you know, and it could, you could add all kinds of ideas and variation to the different things as you go up towers or create railings or whatever it is that you want to do. Um, the thing that um, Elkhorn was focusing on is mostly stone. I also think that walls would be great. Uh, maybe you don't want to call them walls. You can call them posts, but wood, I know that wood already has a lot of variants, but having wood posts that are the same size as walls, I think would be would be great uh, because then it can add a lot to your fence designs and, and things like that. And um, it's it's the thing that I always pops into my head as to why not is like, oh, well, the inventory, you know, there's so much stuff and adding more stuff just creates more inventory problems for people that want to carry a lot of things around. And I think to my head, like there's already enough in the game that causes the problems. I don't know if adding more block variants is going to break the back that's already broken. <laughs> you sure, know? yeah. Like I, I don't think at this point adding in trickles of new block variants is really going to like all of a sudden cause an inventory crisis across all players. I think we're already dealing with one and I don't think adding another couple of blocks every couple of months is going to change that. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I'm all for it. It's a it's a balancing act, really, of appeasing the people who want more stuff and then appeasing the people who think they're not addressing the root of the problem, which is, you know, inventory being more manageable overall. But uh, yeah, maybe in the in the meantime, like you said, that's that may be why people have mods. Speaking of balancing, next email comes in from Luna, not having to mod anymore. Howdy, Pixen Joel. In the nine years that I've been playing Minecraft, most of my playtime was in modded though not because of the additional content. I always found some of Minecraft's mechanics unintrusive, small things like unedible signs or crafting being tedious or big things like villager mechanics. I've always downloaded hundreds of tiny mods to tweak those features, but increasingly as Minecraft keeps getting updated, especially with updates like the village and pillage update with new workstations and caves and cliffs and now trails and tails with a bunch of customization features, I find my mod list whittled down to just performance mods as I become more satisfied with vanilla Minecraft. I find myself at an impasse. Should I switch to vanilla where the game is stable, if a bit familiar, or should I keep modding where there can be wild changes to activate my brain into, ooh, new and shiny, while sometimes being a crashy mess with weird troubleshooting problems? You see this dichotomy uh, in the player base wanting more quality of life updates versus shiny new things in the community as well. Some players even growing bored with the more method methodical updates, while others want more established features 
Food for thought, I guess. Luna died of her computer exploding from too many mods. Pro tip. <laughs> Don't click the TNT mod. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, not a good one. If if your computer is in favor of is is about to explode, then yeah, I can I can thoroughly advocate for vanilla Minecraft, which um you know as of the most recent updates hasn't made my computer explode, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, like this is a really interesting approach to modding. I hadn't ever really considered that there are some people who just wanted Minecraft itself, like the core experience, to be more approachable and through a ton of mods at it for that reason beyond just performance mods i mean like the quality of life mods i knew there was a market for those but i always thought of them as something that goes hand in hand with other stuff that provides major content updates i never thought that there'd be people who'd be playing vanilla minecraft just with all of those little tweaks thrown in and I, i've seen people with a couple of tweaks like a minimap and like an armor hud and stuff like that but mm -hmm. the the editable sign thing changing villager mechanics making crafting easier I suppose there are a whole suite of mods that people would be using that one by one they're sort of starting to come back around to the vanilla way of doing things or the vanilla way has improved to the point where they are catching up with the modded experience that way. Another good example is, um, I can't remember the name of the mod, but it's the one that gives you all of the blocks in the game similar to a creative menu kind of on the right-hand side. Yeah, um, um, just enough items or not enough items. There's something a, there's like that. There's been a variety of them depending on which version of the game and what mod loader you use and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah, yeah. And you can't craft from there, but you can at least look up the thing that you want and then find a way to get it in-game and then go and set out your plan to go collect those materials and then find a crafting table and do it. And you don't have to be next to a crafting table to open up, you know, the the interface and just kind of see. And then something that I find that I get I, I get stuck on, you know, uh, Cosmic and I joke on, on the, the stream sometimes when I'm asking the chat kind of partially rhetorically, hey, like what other blocks could I put in here? And everybody else who is very familiar with Minecraft all of a sudden draws a blank on what stairs are available. And so yeah. I have to walk over to the crafting table, type in stair and just like scroll through the crafting table to remind myself, oh yeah, there's deep slate stairs. And there's like, there's all these different things. Like I forgot about smooth quartz or like stuff like that, especially because there's been a lot of stuff added to the game in the last few years, as Luna pointed out. And it can be very easy to forget like, oh, right. Rooted dirt is a thing. Like I'm not just stuck with grass, path block and coarse dirt like there's another texture i can throw in there another one is um packed mud which you've been using you know a lot in your path work and stuff on, on mm -hmm. Paris. and again i have to like remember right that's a thing that i can get in this game <laughs> and i think having you know that accessible you know in a list uh is nice i'm not saying that that should be how minecraft presents itself the moment that you boot it up for the first time but i think you know having some sort of research tree or you know tech unlock for me it kind of reminds me of satisfactory where you see some tiers you, you can see in the computer oh here's the eight tiers and all the sub tiers and what you get at each stage so you can look ahead and go like "Ooh, trains all right i like trains what is my research road to get to trains and it would be really neat if minecraft kind of like gave you a little bit of that kind of video game path where like you know, I've seen people play Minecraft and they built this really cool redstone contraption. And that's what I want out of this game. I'm now punching a tree, but what's my path to redstone? Like, what is, what do I need to find? You know, you need slime, you need redstone, you need stone, you need certain items, you know, to craft things together. And Minecraft gives you that a little bit when you like harvest redstone for the first time, it gives you some new recipes in the book. 
Um, but it can be like a, if you're not paying attention, you know, or if you're trying not to die somewhere, you, you miss the prompt. And, and I feel like if they had kind of like a trackable journal or tech tree or something like that, it could help with, um, what Luna was saying about things just being unintuitive. I think I might've used the wrong word when I read the email, but you know, unintuitive, I think is something that, um, a lot of times when you're playing a game, when it doesn't make sense then I feel like the the modders that get into this kind of headspace are like borderline game developers, right? They're just like, well, you've done it, but that's not how I would do it. Mm -hmm. You know, here's a more common sense way that I would want to do it. And the nice thing is that with mods and data packs, data packs especially because data packs are a way to lean into these kind of quality of life things that just make sense without going into the whole modded thing. You don't need another launcher. Um, even though we do run a modded launcher for the Citadel because of all the performance updates we we run or or uh, mods we run for like lighting and rendering and frame rate and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it allows me to add in uh, data packs, which are, you know, they don't they're not reliant on fabric um, for things like being able to cut wood in the stone cutter. Like you see a stone cutter, you see the advantage of using a stone cutter and there's all this wood in Minecraft and there's no wood cutter and it just. You know, that's one of those things that does, does, doesn't make sense. Why isn't there a woodcutter? And it could go back to what we were saying earlier about like just resources at Mojang and not wanting to conflate or add yet another thing into the crafting sphere to confuse people. So keeping it simple with the crafting bench. But I've added recipes via data pack to the stone cutter for wood. And it makes my life a lot easier. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. I'm no longer going through the crafting table and the recipe book interface. I'm I get a very straightforward interface in the stone cutter, which I think is kind of like the crafting table 2.0 you know in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and and i get my wood that way and it 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 makes sense to me now to the point where i forget that it's not vanilla yeah yeah and i think honestly to address luna's question directly here should i switch to vanilla or should i keep modding 1.20 is going to be a great time to switch to purely vanilla with performance mods if you need them since those are usually out within a couple of days of the full release of an update but i do think if you want to try switching to vanilla and leave all of the modded stuff behind just for a little while and see what the actual vanilla experience is like, the fresh updates are a really good time to do that. It's a time when you can start a brand new world, start looking around, start finding all of that stuff, and then you're keeping a mental checklist of the stuff that still causes those issues for you, the stuff that still doesn't quite feel like it's implemented right. And then a little while into the update, when those feelings become insurmountable, that's when you can consider going back to modded. It doesn't have to be one or the other. In fact, it's been one for you for a while, but vanilla has always been there in the background, providing the foundation for everything else that you're, you're adding on top of it. So I think, like, start playing vanilla in 1.20, and then once the 1.20 mod scene starts to catch up a little bit, Hopefully they'll have some solutions to some of the things you find unintuitive about the vanilla experience in 1.20. I think that's sound advice. I think that, you know, waiting until your eye twitches to, yeah. to add them <laughs> back in. Or, I mean, and you might also be able to find a data pack that could bring you close enough to a mod experience where you're like, you know what, maybe I don't have to get a mod for this. I could just find like a data pack or a recipe or something like that that might kind of get you just that little bit further. But I would be very curious to hear, you know, back from Luna or back from anybody else in our audience that hasn't been playing a lot of modded and wants to jump into 1.20 when it comes out and just kind of see like since, especially if it's been a long time since you've played vanilla Minecraft, just how far it's come and whether or not, you know, you feel like the experience 
is more on par with how you've been playing Minecraft for the last little while. Yeah, a vanilla, a vanilla Minecraft in 1.20 is waggling its eyebrows at you going, hey, we have Cherrywood now. <laughs> it's been 12 <laughs> years, but we have Cherrywood. Um, yeah. So speaking of things that make our eyes twitch, uh, let's go talk about Minecraft Legends. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I say this kind of semi-jokingly, but also knowing that Joel has had a less than perfect experience of Minecraft Legends post-launch. So I think I'm going to let you go first because... I feel like we should maybe round things off on a slightly more positive note, but I know that your experience of Legends so far has has not really been the best. So I just loaded it up like everybody else and, and started playing through the tutorial, which was straightforward, and started on the campaign. I did about two hours of the campaign. I believe you joined me uh, for a multiplayer co-op campaign after that for between an hour and two hours, maybe sort around of once it minutes. Once it got into like the open world stuff where you're trying to yes. figure out like, where do I go? How do I defend the villages? That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't have a singular mission. I basically had like the map opened up and there was like several different piglin... Um, I'll call them bases, uh, different colors, yeah. outposts. There was different colors, different. Fa all the factions were revealed to me on the map. There were just like, there's the green ones, the red ones, and I think the yellow ones, I can't remember the color. And, um, and so like, that was kind of where I was out there and, and trying to decide what to do. And I think the first thing that came up was like, oh, well, this village is about to get attacked. And so you and I, you know, had to defend the village. And so we did the co-op thing. We built the, the turrets and the walls and then defended the piglins at night. Uh, and and rebuilt the structures where we could and then we went off to go do something else like i can't remember exactly what it was that we did this was about a week ago i think and, we, we uh, ended up taking down a smaller piglin outpost mm, like they start mm -hmm. to build these extra bases beyond what they have established at the beginning of the campaign mm -hmm. and we just went into one of those took down the structures freed a, a bunch of villages that they had contained there and that was kind of where we ended it i think yeah and so when I went back to it on my next stream, I continued with the single player campaign. I'll use that word loosely because I don't find it very structured. Uh, but I mean, the premise was quite straightforward. There are piglins everywhere. We need to get rid of them. They're nasty little, you know, snot mongers. And so you just, you want to, you know, they, I mean, it's, it's a, it's an easy world to, to traverse in terms of like movement is fun. You know, it's very pretty. So it entices you to get in there and play the game. I didn't have any issues with like frame rates or um, with, uh, we'll say like camera responsiveness. Like most of that was pretty good. There were some tweaks. The defaults were very off. I, I found that I had to really, you know, tweak things, but they give you that option. And uh, I mean, as they should. So that was easy to dial in. Um, the one thing that I will say I haven't seen anybody else have this problem um, and I am not having it on any other game. So I know it's not a hardware issue, but something that I do in Minecraft Legends when moving around ends up with my character kind of moving constantly in a single direction. Usually it was like um, between um, W and A. So like kind of like forward to your left. Um, and I wouldn't touch the keyboard, wouldn't touch the mouse. My character would just run in that direction and I would steer. I could steer and I could move somewhere else. And then when I stopped moving somewhere else, it would go off in a different direction again. And the only thing that I could find that would actually fix this would be to tap escape, bring up the game menu, and then go back in and my character would stop moving. So there's it's obviously weird. some sort of bug, some yeah. sort of weird bug. I, you know, I'm playing on a PC. Um, and it was through the Windows Game Store. I didn't buy it on Steam. Like this was the Game Pass install. 
and you're playing with keyboard and mouse so it's not like it's keyboard a controller like joystick drift kind of exactly. problem like that's the, and it's the kind of thing that was happening to me with my old nintendo switch joy cons and i ended up replacing them but exactly uh, like, like you i've not heard of anybody else having this movement bug so it's really unfortunate that that kind of added to the 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 difficulty of the experience and again, like I'm using the exact same keyboard and mouse to play Minecraft, to play Satisfactory, to do everything else on that computer, you know, just yeah. from a straight up, you know, if the, if there was a keyboard being pressed, then like browsing the internet would be like hellish. Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. There'd be all kinds of hard stuff. Anyway, so we get into the campaign and uh, the the mission, like I said, the statement was clear, destroy the piglins. Um, the, th three, the three story characters kept interrupting me to tell me that there was a village that was going to be attacked tonight. And sometimes it was straightforward. And if you're paying attention, um, they would put a little flag over the village and, and you say, okay, well, I'll go to that village and I'll protect it. And as you go through, you get like um, lessons in like, oh, if you build these things at your main um, fountain, then you can expand your, your knowledge and your capabilities. And if you build uh, these fountains farther out into the world, then you can use that as your respawn point, kind of like a bed in Minecraft. So, okay, straightforward. Um, but when I stumbled on some larger piglin encampments, I was told I wasn't ready to fight. And then I would find smaller ones and attack them and destroy them. And then no progress was logged. Uh, or that would take the entire day. Then I'd have to go back to a village at night and defend it. And then by the time the next day rose again, the piglins had expanded. So like it was a one step forward, one step back. Like you take out a pigment, a piglin encampment, and then you go and defend a village. And then during the night, they've expanded again. So I thought, well, how do you make any progress? So then I started using the ability of the allays to remove the nether creep that happens. And I ended up removing all of the nether creep. Um, but the, the area never actually fully healed there were still like the ruins of the structures and the lava pits yeah. and stuff so i was like all right well that's not it like it's not like um in the zerg stuff in starcraft if you remove the gross stuff that the zerg build on then they can't build anymore and that didn't work so i realized that the allays ability to create uh, grass out of uh netherrack was meant more for when you're advancing into a larger base and you want to build structures or build your um, your spawners within the piglin base so that you don't have to go back as far every time it's more like a, a, a like a leapfrog kind of advancement kind of technique so i started doing that uh i found that you know once it introduced me to redstone uh it got me into the mechanics of like um oh this is a tough piglin base the only way that you're going to be able to fight this piglin base is by building a redstone launcher and so i thought okay i found the next tech kind of progression moment and these things are not obvious like you kind of stumble into a cinematic you think you're going to advance you get all ready and you get ready to march into a, a piglin base and then it just stops and plays a cinematic explanation of like oh you should probably use one of these this is too tough a base you need the redstone launcher to make quick use of these buildings so i thought okay i build the redstone launcher and go through this process of um you know building the redstone launcher making progress realizing uh that as i got closer to the tower there were or what were they called lava coils and so yeah. the mission was to destroy the portal but the lava coils were protecting the portal so you could yeah, not they, attack the portal they make it invulnerable yeah yeah so you had to take out the coils first and the coils are really deep in the base so very obviously you have to use the redstone launcher to do that 
So I'm invested in this battle and everything's going. And then I'm building bridges and I'm kind of climbing up these cliffs because they don't make these bases accessible. Like they're way up high. You have to really use the build mechanics to build ramps and all this kind of stuff, which well, I'll get to some of the issues in a minute. But I get up there and I finally figure out how to get through and attack the thing. The lava coils are down. I have to regroup because there's a bunch of piglins that are absolutely dismantling my golems and I can't seem to figure out how to get past all this stuff. So I'm like, my next phase is going to be to aim the redstone launcher at these piglins instead of the structures. I got the portal down to maybe like 67% or something like that. It was taking a very long time. And then on the way back down the ramp to gather more troops and heal myself, I the, the movement bug happened and I fell off the side of the bridge. And because I was low health, I died from fall damage because I was high up. And I thought, well, that's unfortunate, but whatever. Like I know where I was. I have my respawn point set, uh, or at least I thought I did. Then the game says, this piglin village is under attack. You need to protect it. Respawns me at this event that was unscheduled and not the battle that I was in the middle of. So any momentum that I had going into this battle, um, all of my army that was left that was up at this other battle. And I have now spawned in this village that is under attack on three sides from piglins, which means that I have to defend it now. You're suddenly and pivoting so in your gameplay style from offensive to defensive. Yeah, exactly. And, and I was in the middle of a task that the game had given me. Like I didn't yeah. <laughs> choose to take out this village with the redstone launcher. The game said, you need to take out this village with the redstone launcher right now. That's the best thing to do. And then they said, oh, wait, no, the best thing to do is to defend this other piglin village. And I'm thinking in my head, like, I don't know. In my experience, these piglins rebuild overnight. So I don't know whether while I'm not at the at the redstone launcher attack, if they're regrouping and rebuilding and summoning more troops, uh, whether I'm losing my ground uh, and then now I'm defending the piglin stuff. Like it just, it became all kinds of helter skelter. And, you know, in doing all this and in fighting all this, that was frustrating. And that's kind of where I ended my, my last stream. But the whole time, something was just kind of nagging at me. And the the words that kept on coming out when people were coming in my stream and asking me what I thought about it is that it's very pretty, but it's very tedious. Uh -huh. And trying to lay down any real strategy is nigh impossible. Um, it's not clear that your golems are actually listening to you other than running around behind you. That part is clear. But if you try to get them to attack anything, half of the time they're not listening. Half of them follow you when you don't want them to. I've tried listening and, and working with the banner mode, which is an awkward number of key presses that you have to manage to get this done. Um, they're like goldfish and they forget to do anything the moment that they're done anything or any yeah. hurdle shows up. Um, if you set them to attack a building, fine. Your stone golems are going to hammer this thing until it blows up. When they're done, they will stand there and do absolutely nothing, including if they're getting attacked by piglins. They'll just stand there until you go and grab them. And if you attack a piglin, then all of your golems will come in. But there's no way to, to tell your golems to attack piglins while you do something else. They're kind of just are always at your back. And so in doing so, um, you can't really separate your golems effectively. You can walk over to them and use your, you know, banner to summon them to your command, but you have to be within their facility, which is a small radius. Correct me if I'm wrong. Can that radius be increased later on, like with updates and upgrades and things? Um, the radius that your banner pulls yeah. units in? Pulls yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, you can, you can increase the banner radius. You can increase the maximum amount of units you can control at one time. All of that comes through upgrades, which the campaign dishes out very sparingly, mm -hmm. I think, because there aren't 
a huge amount of them, and so you don't want the player to be fully developed within the first, like, hour of the campaign, but it starts to feel kind of punishing, because they are giving you the options to develop in a number of different directions, but if you don't make certain decisions, you might be slowing it down for yourself and making it harder to manage individual sets of troops without those expansions. I'm not as far in the campaign, I think, as you are, so I might have not reached the point where that's possible yet, but I am finding that, yeah, that there are certain things that feel quite slow about the campaign, especially when you compare it to PvP, which we'll get onto a little bit later. And the thing is, like, the campaign, it doesn't really have this set of missions. Like, you're constantly being interrupted by the story characters to say, this Piglin base is going to expand tonight, or this village is going to be under attack. And I'll get into some of the graphic design issues in a bit, but but it's not clear what the strategy is beyond um, we have to remove the piglins. Like it doesn't indicate to you which faction you should remove first. It doesn't indicate to you uh, whether you should defend the village or whether you should continue on with what you were doing. There's no hint as to say like, while it's important what you're doing, you should really defend this village or, or, or the reverse. They say the village might be okay, but you should really try to finish off this base. They don't give you that, you know, that hint. So in a way, I think it's a failure of the sandbox nature of Minecraft being brought into a strategy game where like you need missions, you know, like you need tasks, you need um, a, a hit list of things that you should really do. Um, it doesn't have to be a list that has to be done in a specific order, but it would be nice to be able to like, look, you have to take out this thing and that thing, or this is a new thing the Piglins have just developed. It's probably best we nip this in the bud. Like that would yeah. give you a clear objective, right? Objective is what I'm looking for as a word. Yeah. Um, so that is is a, a problem. Um, so when you're engaging with Piglins, the most effective way to deal with Piglins is not your golems. It's just you. You've got one move, one sword swing, and you run around in a circle smacking them. And that gets old real quick. And there's no advantage that I've found to having arrow golems or stone golems with you. Like the, as soon as the arrow golems decide they have a target, you've already killed it because you're up front <laughs> and against the smaller piglins, you're basically, you're pretty good. With the um, smaller ones, especially. Yes. Yeah. And then the bigger piglins, uh, they will nuke your your dudes like if it's a flamethrowing piglin then your wooden plank golems are on fire and gone you know before that they can even get to you and i mean like i don't know if the player gets any upgrades like whether you feel more powerful as time goes on like do you, you have don't. any knockback Un you don't. unfortunately no like at least not as far as i have found and that's another issue that comes up in pvp is that taking out the player sort of becomes one of the major factors of pvp skirmishes like if you end up facing down somebody else with another group of golems if you target all of their golems but then all of their golems target you you're out of the picture really quickly and then your units like you said don't have the ai that tells them okay i should keep attacking just whatever's around me they just mm -hmm. kind of stand there and so the fact that the player can't be improved in any way that you don't get any extra health or you can't craft yourself armor or anything does like the, the only thing that you can change is your mount and the mount doesn't really factor into how healthy you are it's just how fast you can move whether you can glide a little bit um so yeah th there's there's a lot of um like powerlessness that it starts to feel even though you're supposed to be the commander of these armies and you're supposed to be the the powerful one surrounded by units that are supposed to help you with the objective rather than just be defending you against 
a potential early death. And like you said, with the full damage aspect as well, there's not a whole lot you can do about it sometimes. Or when the, the your golems walk off the side of something and they fall down two blocks and they can't get up. They're just stuck <laughs> there until you find a place that you can recall them. Like I will attach a uh, review from PC Gamer for Minecraft Legends in the, in the show notes. And they gave it a 50 score out of 100. And one of the quotes that kind of resonated with me from the review was, every battle makes me less of a commander of armies and more of a minder of preschoolers. Like they, <laughs> they really, the minions are just, you know, the, the golems are just kind of like mindless. And, you know, I, I heard from you, you know, as we were discussing live on stream that things like the zombies are a little bit more resilient. The skeletons have got more armor and way more range than your plank golems. The game never told me how to get them. I have the structure. They say, oh, here is the, I guess it's coal and diamonds for skeletons, maybe. Anyway, you build your your um, upgrade structure and then you have the ability to make a skeleton spawner. So says the game. But then you can't. It's not in your hotbar. You can't add it to your hotbar. It's nowhere. Now, somebody in chat told me, um, which, you know, wasn't how I wanted to find out, that you then have to somehow find skeletons on the map to unlock the ability to make the spawner but the game itself does not tell you that unless i missed it and and um i i don't find that 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 kind of stuff is, is clear so when you want to like i was in that um attempt to take out that piglin portal what i really needed was more range because anytime i got in range i got owned because of the uh the spore nature of these piglin guys that were coming at me and a lot of mushroom stuff a lot of AOE. They had like a poison cloud around them. Mm. And so what I wanted was skeletons that could shoot them from a mile away. And I just, I couldn't do it, even though I knew I had unlocked the ability. So it was really frustrating. And yeah. in, in my laying out of strategy, uh, I think that the GUI is what really kind of was frustrating to me. You know, when you're trying to command your armies, you get a quick circle indicator when you've rallied your golems, but nothing to indicate you know, when you've lost one in battle, other than your flames of, of war going down, and you're probably using the wrong words for these, but, um, but when, when that goes down, you know, you've lost somebody, but there's no other indication, uh, in your, you know, you don't have a list that says you've got six stone golems and four of these and five of those, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they die in battle quickly or they fall off a cliff and which happens even more often. Uh, the banner mode feedback, because I had questions about that before the game even offered it to me as an option. I just hadn't gotten that far in the campaign. I think I had talked to you about it like just before it was unlocked. And uh, the feedback for me graphically use these, uses the opposite of what normal UI colors indicate. Blue is bad. Red is good. Where other parts of the game, like building, it's the reverse, as you expect. Red, bad. You can't build there. Blue, it will build there. And, and I think they've got that backwards. Uh, there's no, there's not even a real good sound confirmation. Uh, like again, an example with Starcraft, like if you had a bunch of Marines and you told them to attack to a building, somebody would go like, aye, aye, captain, or like on it, you know, like you'd, you'd hear them say, confirm, like I got your command. I'm going to go do that. The building would flash a little bit and you'd, you'd know that that group of Marines was attacking that supply depot or whatever. And that feedback information is lacking incredibly from, from legends. Yeah. Um, the map is an illustrated map with one zoom level. Neither clearly communicate where you are in relation to the structures. The structures are not to scale. The distance is not to scale. It's a voxel based game. Make a voxel or a pixel based map. 
so players know where they are. I was taking out outposts or encampments or something and wondering why the structures on the map weren't changing because I was right next to them. Turns out I wasn't next to them. I was miles away. And so that lack of communication from the map really had me confused. I had other people coming in and telling me, you know, that I wasn't next to what I thought I was next to. Um, you know, I find that, you know, indicating what's going to be attacked next, attacked next with a light brown flag on a beige map is a terrible idea. Mm. There's also a light beige like ring indicator on the ground outside of like a village that might get attacked or a piglin base that might expand again on a beige map. There's a bunch of things with bright turquoise rings around them with no explanation whatsoever and they don't blink nothing. So why when something is like this base is going to be attacked, why is it not flashing red? Why isn't there a big red arrow around it? They've taken the time to illustrate this map, but there's no, like the graphic UI is, is a really difficult to track. Like I even said, I can see this on my screen, but the stream couldn't, the stream couldn't figure out what I was looking at because the color was so close to the background that they couldn't understand what I was looking at. Um, I also find that the logbook, the graphic design in the logbook is really tricky. Uh, you know, you want to create your hotbar and put different things on your hotbar. You have to go into the logbook to do it. And then things are very clearly buttons, but you can't click on it with a mouse. It's all keyboard indicated. Now, some of that might be because this is playable on PC and Xbox and Nintendo Switch and all that kind of stuff. So some of those choices might be because of that. But I'm on a PC. Like, let me click on things that look like buttons. Uh, I feel like um, there's a lot of very odd like double or triple clicking a button just to do a task that should be as simple as dragging something like in your minecraft inventory from your inventory to your hotbar you know or shift clicking it down into place um that kind of like intuitiveness for so many other video games out there is just not there they're doing it differently for whatever reason i i just don't know um and lastly the building and the building is fine i guess it's clearly not meant to be a precise art and i think you can maybe chime into this because you've probably built more in pvp you mm -hmm. know, than i have but um there are some things that that make no sense like you can single click on a ramp and dismantle it and it all comes back by the way don't stand on them when you do that uh, <laughs> because you will fall um and don't do it by accident because you can do that too um but then you know when you want to dismantle a wall it's literally one plank at a time. Yeah. Yeah, because is, the walls can be, they're not a fixed length. You decide how long they're going to be, yeah. but yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you decide that you want to take down a wall, don't let the piglins do it for you. It's faster. It's faster to wait to nightfall for them to come in and, and smack it down. Um, you'd be better off just to like harvest more wood and build the new wall where you want it and wait for the old wall to fall via natural you know, terms it building and taking it down wall by wall was just is incredibly frustrating. I was surprised actually, uh, that that was a mechanic that was decided. Yes, this is a good idea on how to take down a wall. So, um, I did not spend a lot of time building defensively because, um, I did not play that long. I think I logged about a total of between six and eight hours in the game. And, uh, I just found the experience so frustrating and not being able to do what I want and some of this might come from having a lot of history playing strategy games. But if Minecraft Legends is going to be a action strategy, there has to be some strategy. You have to be able to think for yourself and try new things. And when you can't do anything but basically point and click and smack people, then it's really just like, 
it might have been better off as like a, an RPG, you know, like a, a different version of Minecraft Dungeons where you've got some minions that you can bring with you. But like ultimately you're the hero, you're the one doing all the fighting uh, because that's what it feels like. You don't really get any advantage other than some golems are better at taking down buildings than you are. And that's about it. So for me, like, I, I, I want to preface by saying I actually quite like this game. Um, against my better judgment, I feel like, because like basically everything, everybody around me is saying, like, this game needs work. And that's why I feel like I haven't been back to it much since playing through the first, like, hour or so of the campaign past what I'd already played. Um, so past the scene in which the piglins get their own corrupted beacon and they darken the sky and then the open world element of the campaign happens. Um, so I played about an hour after that. And... Yeah, like, I I think where this differs from Minecraft Dungeons, and it's interesting that we bring up Minecraft Dungeons in relation to this, they it feels like they've tried very hard to adhere to a few fundamental things that people feel like are the core of the Minecraft experience that just weren't present in Dungeons. The fact that you can build, the fact that the game is open world, and there being like a day-night cycle where the monsters come out at night. I think that's some of the core ideas of Minecraft that they thought this is something we can bring from the sandbox game and bring it into this strategy environment that we want to build for a game like Minecraft Legends. So obviously the game being open world, players having exploration, making their own objectives to a certain extent. I, I recognize that you've already given us an example of the game giving you one objective and then sidebarring you into a completely different objective halfway through, so it doesn't always feel like that. But I do think there is a certain amount of experimentation the game allows you to do. Unfortunately, where that experimentation ends is when you attack a piglin base because there are very specific roles that they want everything to have. So it gets a little bit tricky to figure out the way the game wants you to play when they've given you an environment that feels like it's encouraging experimentation. So like you, one of the things I like to do was I just steamrolled a very easy piglin outpost and then built that convert netherrack improvement and spent some time just completely terraforming it to see if I could. And perhaps like you, yeah, I was disappointed that the allays just kind of paper over the netherrack with a, a thin veneer of artificial grass. It kind of feels like they astroturf the place, and then you can build some stuff, but then there's still some netherrack visible, the lava is still there that all of my villagers were basically jumping in after I'd freed them from the cages, mm -hmm. and there's one piglin staircase there that I just can't destroy. The sky still turns red and has, like, you know, warped forest or, or crimson forest particles when you go there. Um, so there's still some things that don't feel like you're making as much of a difference. And it it does make sense for their philosophy that they've outlined for the game where the piglins are leaving permanent scars in the overworld. And so like it, it kind of feels like, yeah, the, the battle won't be truly over until you've managed to complete the rest of the campaign and, and remove the piglins from the world. Um, the monsters coming out at night thing is really part of it with those roving bands of piglins that are more active at night they're even more active in pvp matches they attack your base a lot more at night um and then obviously that's where the base defense objectives kick in during the campaign but there's no way to skip the night the way there is in the sandbox element of minecraft so if you're in the middle of a daytime objective for you which is hey let's go and take down one of the larger outposts or at least try and make some headway on that you get interrupted by the night half of the cycle and there's nothing you can really do about that. And I can absolutely see that being a frustration. 
but it feels like that's the kind of thing that they've taken from the core Minecraft experience and gone, how can we fit this into this action uh, strategy kind of formula? And I, I agree with you that experience with an RTS almost works against you when you're taking on this game because it's supposed to appeal to the same kind of mechanics but they very much decided to blaze their own trail in terms of how the game feels to operate and describing it as maybe a hybrid of something like Warcraft and something like Pikmin where you're a character in the world and you're organizing all of these little guys who can sort of run off on their own sounds charming but can end up clashing a lot and it feels like as somebody who has an experience with a top-down RTS, it feels like a lot of the systems end up being unfamiliar and unfriendly and unintuitive, which is a, a real shame. Um, there's a lot of this kind of sentiment out there that it seems like the team is listening to, so I really hope that they can take on board some of the more constructive criticism we've seen over the last week. They certainly seem to be doing that in terms of the PvP experience, but there are also some sort of glaring issues with the base game so i think maybe some of that stuff hopefully is going to be prioritized and then deepening the pvp experience can can go on from there because i think at its core this game is worth saving if it is having a hard time right now i think it is worth them investing some more time and energy money development time whatever it needs to be into turning this into the type of experience that players want to return to because i would personally like to um it's got a lot to like about it. The animation is really charming. Like, as as an animator yourself, I'm sure you kind of... You, you probably enjoyed some of the cutscenes, thought, like, the voice acting was kind of okay. I agree the voice lines get a little intrusive when you're trying to plan anything, but, like, the cinematics and stuff, how did you feel about the way that um, developed the world that you were looking at? Oh, the animation... The, I mean, the world itself, when you're in it, the voice acting, the interaction between the story characters, the th what are they called? The three fates or something? The, the the three spiritual folks that kind of walk you through the different stories and different upgrades and stuff. I it's forget if they really like name them as a collective, yeah. but yeah, yeah, the tutorial characters, basically. Yeah, like knowledge, uh, foresight, action, and, and foresight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, very cool, you know, fun little flip where like the the little dude has got the deep voice and the big golem is action is like a child's voice. Yeah. Um, like stuff like that. I mean, it's all very cute. Um, the animation is is really well done in that. The animation in the game is great too. Like the piglins dying is hilarious. Like uh -huh. they flop over. Um, and the cutscenes where, um, oh, what was it? The piglins had decided that we were making too much advancement. So they wanted to put uh, something over their portal that would then block out the sun that's the corrupted and, beacon thing yeah yeah the corrupted beacon thing and so the piglins in the in the cutscene, the little minions are installing it and you immediately realize that they're standing far too close to this thing that is spinning up and about to do something and when it mm -hmm. explodes and shoots the beam into space like piglins go flying everywhere and it's hilarious like and really well animated like these guys are dumber than a bag of hammers and like that kind of stuff as a cartoonist and an animator and, and like i found all that kind of stuff really endearing and yeah. those cutscenes did a good job of communicating this is what the piglins have done next obviously this is bad we have to destroy the thing that is blocking out the sun um and something that you and i think maybe talked about either privately or maybe we talked about it on the stream i can't remember but previous to that uh when when that had happened i don't know if we had had a night cycle so yeah. when they shoot the sun and block it out when you beat that part of the campaign and you get the sun back it's not the sun you get the moon and then 
going forward, you have day-night cycles in, in the game. So in terms of like how this is supposed to be Minecraft Legends and so long in the past that it doesn't really apply to what everybody knows as Minecraft now, in that I think we just witnessed the first day-night cycle. Yeah, uh, but it's almost like a that, creation myth for that aspect yeah, of Minecraft. Yeah, but you caught that, and I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I mean, notice I, that at I first. didn't even like. I'm. I'm going to raise my hand here. I didn't even catch it myself. Somebody in my YouTube comments pointed it out, and I think they'd seen oh, okay. it on Pearlescent Moons videos or something. So right. it's like very much like third or fourth fourth hand information at that point. But there are some little Easter eggs like that that you can get from the cinematics, like um the the whole night beacon sequence starts with basically like a piglin witch comes out of nowhere and is like one of the the horde of the spore guys with this kind of straggly hair and like a staff that seems to have the orb of dominance that we've seen in minecraft dungeons wielded by the arch illager and that's how they like corrupt that beacon for the first time minecraft dungeons has an accessory called a corrupted beacon that fires like a laser beam at stuff and so people are speculating about how those games are connected to begin with so there's like a lot of that but it does suffer i think from the problem that the villains are getting way more development than the overworld characters and the heroes do because you Mm -hmm. are the hero Mm -hmm. you know but but you don't have a backstory in the same way link from legend of zelda breath of the wild like puts together a backstory of his past as you play through that game like you don't have anything like that so there's a little bit of characterization of creepers and skeletons that creeps in in the early cutscenes. And from what I've heard from people who've completed the campaign, the story does take some interesting turns, but it really feels like the piglins are the ones who are going to get the most charisma, the the most development throughout the entire campaign, which feels like a shame when they're the villains and you're supposed to be rooting for the, the hero side. But I suppose the escalation of the piglin threat is really what's driving the story, so it it kind of makes sense. I think the thing that surprised me the most having had a fair amount of all my experience really came from that pvp session that we played up in london and i've played a bunch of pvp since but i'm surprised how much of the campaign stuff doesn't carry over to pvp mode and vice versa i was talking about this game on a previous show saying well the tutorial and the kind of the the campaign is really there to teach you how pvp works so that you can take those mechanics into the pvp game when you start playing multiplayer and you're done with the the story mode And that's not exactly the case. Like, there's some stuff that just doesn't exist in either version. Like, in the campaign, villages farm resources for you. So every time you return to a village chest, they've got some stone and some of a precious resource. And if you defend them for a little bit more, then they start producing more of those resources. That doesn't happen in PvP. All of your resources have to be gathered by the player, which you're kind of used to doing anyway because you're the only one you have the control over. So, like, the player's agency is an important part of the campaign, but it might take a bit of getting used to if all you've done is the story up until that point. Meanwhile, in PvP, Prismarine is something that you get pretty much constantly and can really rush into getting right away to upgrade your settlement by taking down piglin structures. Then in the campaign, it's a reward for completing certain objectives, but you upgrade really slowly. Like, you unlock stuff bit by bit so that, like I said, you just don't rush the tech tree in the first hour and then roll over everything with the firsts of stone and and some of the, like, bigger units that you get later. Um, And there are some upgrades like the Netherrack conversion thing that simply don't appear in PvP. There's a couple, like, that I've seen elsewhere in the menu that just really aren't there. 
And then in the campaign, you can build well houses anywhere in the world to start a new base and create a fast travel point for yourself, which are, by the way, what those turquoise circles are. It's a place you can fast travel to. Um, oh, okay. In PvP, you only have one base. And unlike in StarCraft, where you can sneakily create like a second Terran command center or start like another Zerg hive somewhere, you, you don't have the option to make another wellhouse. So you can't stealthily create a second home base and then lure people into thinking they've demolished you. It's one wellspring and that's it. Um, so, so there's a, a, bit of, a bit of a difference there. And I'm kind of surprised by how different those two are. I sort of wonder if we'll start to see some of that campaign stuff making its way into PvP modes in future, but I'm I'm not entirely certain if that's the case. And to speak to some of the stuff that you've talked about already before we get into talking about PvP, I agree that there is there's a variety of like general issues that could really help this game if they were addressed. Like the UI things, not being able to see individual units' health, I think is a problem. First of yes. all, that makes it very difficult to see whether your medic units, the Mossy Golems and I think First of Brick is the, the bigger one, it, you can't see whether or not they're having an impact because your units are either there or they are not there and they don't have any health bars and there's no damage indicators like there are with structures where they'll start to appear cracked and like the mid-stage of a Minecraft block-breaking animation. Um, th those don't happen with units at all, so it's difficult to tell whether you're actually benefiting from bringing the mossy golems with your army or not, other than like doing some serious playtesting and taking a bunch of arrow golems and some mossy golems into one base and then doing it without mossy golems as like a controlled experiment. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm curious about that. If they if they can potentially give some insight into how those units are doing, then that would be kind of helpful. Um, the units not knowing how to act on their own is such a big thing. Like, if a player gets taken down, those units are stranded, they can be picked off very easily, and they don't fight back. They, even, like, the, the cobblestone golems will continue to take down structures um, when they're in the piglin bases in PvP. They sort of slowly wander over to them, but they'll still do it. And a lot of the time, that means that if your opponent is there and they've just swept you out of this piglin base to take control, they can continue using your stranded golems to their own advantage. They won't be able to order them around, but those will still be taking down structures and they can collect the prismarine by just standing in place nearby, um, which can kind of tip a PvP game in, in early stages especially. Um, but yeah, players being the priority target in PvP and when those PvE deaths come around they get sort of frustratingly expensive because it's more than likely that by the time you get back to those units they'll have been wiped out and so defending yourself becomes a priority but it's very difficult to heal up uh, on the fly or you know you don't have any upgrades to improve your defense or your health which makes the player feel increasingly fragile in late game which is really unfortunate and it's never a problem in top-down rts's because you're not a unit on the battlefield controlling things but more often than not in those games if you have a hero unit if they die that's the ball game if like rayner dies on a mission in starcraft exactly. then you've lost yeah. because he's a key part of the story so players being able to respawn and, and return in this is kind of a double-edged sword um when it comes to units as well they get into really illogical formations when you're dragging around a whole bunch of them so like you're used to creepers as 
something that deals instant damage to structures from Minecraft. And incidentally, that's not really what they're for in Minecraft Legends, which is another problem. Some of those units aren't as effective at what you would expect them to be. Like, creepers are actually more effective to take down groups of enemy mobs rather than structures. But because we're used to creepers blowing up our builds in Minecraft, we kind of think, oh, they're probably anti-structure things. They explode and it takes down a tower and stuff. It, we've mathed it out a little bit in a Discord that we've been running between a bunch of us content creators and... It turns out that creepers are actually more expensive than the first of stone, who is the big, like, bulldozing thing that throws rocks at a tower from a distance. And creepers are a one-shot mob because they explode and then you can't direct them around anymore. Um, but they'll hang around towards the back of a group of golems. So if you send in cobblestone golems and creepers all in one group they line up so the cobblestone golems are at the front and the creepers are at the back. But that means the cobblestone golems all cluster around the thing you're trying to destroy and the creepers can't walk close enough to it to blow it up. And half the time they get picked off by arrow towers or ranged units or something else. So there's a few issues with that sort of the way players want to use stuff and the difficulty in that banner mode micromanagement stuff when you're first getting used to it that really makes it feel a little bit rough to get through um and a lot of that has been borne out in pvp the pvp is actually great fun with some friends in private matches we've mostly played 4v4s but i've done a couple of like 1v1s and other matchups we've done some unevenly sided teams if a couple of us had more experience than the other and we did a, a pretty decent attempt at a 3v4 uh, where it was me whip and uh, Shelby I think against like a few other folks and we held our own for a good long time while somebody else was having trouble connecting so that was uh, that was fun but I'm finding most of these matches either come down to an early rush that the opponent isn't prepared for or you have to lay siege to them with redstone launchers and the first of stone in late game there's not really a whole lot of viable mid-game options and that's kind of because the only limit on defensive towers is how many resources players have available and arrow towers and scatter towers are a lot cheaper to build than the units that take them down are. Um, so there's like a little bit of a balance issue. There's some stuff that could be corrected there. But ultimately, PvP balance is not too bad. The main problem is that public PvP suffers from some pretty major issues. The main one being that there's no way to queue with specific people. Uh, so you can join a public game that's hosted by a friend, but you can't control which team you join. So you couldn't put together a team of four and then, you know, offer that team of four up to play any sort of random opponents. Teams end up getting assigned based on an alternating basis from when you join the game. So the only way to guarantee that you're teaming up with your friends is if you join right after a stranger arrives to join the opposing team. So right now that's really janky. And the Legends team has actually confirmed via Twitter that a forthcoming update is going to resolve this. We have no timeline on that as far as I know, but that's the, the promise that they've made so far. The main reason you don't want to team with random people is that there's really no way of communicating with your teammates. There's no in-game chats, there's no in-game voice chat. Understandable considering that people are going to be on a variety of consoles and they're going to be of a variety of ages. It's really build as like an all ages game from sort of ages seven and up or ten and up um but the only thing it's possible to do is ping locations on the map or structures you're building um and like console players don't have time for you know tapping away on the on-screen keyboard and there's no emote system there's no quick message system there's nothing to really compensate for that and the main issue there is that any player 
at any time can recall the entire army to their home base from one spawner. <laughs> so if you have a cobblestone spawner built at your home base and you hit recall, it brings every unit back, not just the cobblestone golems, but it brings back the creepers that you might be using to rush the opponent's base and try and, you know, create an opening. It brings back the firsts that you're, you know, using to throw stones at their towers and try and make your way in. It, it brings back all kinds of stuff. And so anyone who's attempting to rush the opponent with no way to communicate that can very easily find themselves sabotaged by another player just recalling all their units to either help with base defense or just because they wanted to just because they wanted to be the one yeah. bringing all of the army into the into the the enemy base and the other minor thing at this point is that it's locked to 4v4 matches when it comes to public uh for private matches you can put together anything from a 1v4 to a 4v4 and anything in between um but you can you can see a 1v1 or a 2v2 queue maybe being difficult to queue for because you've got to wait for like one person or two people to show up instead of just crowding as many people as you can into the same thing like it kind of maybe like narrows down the amount of people who'll be queuing for each individual game um and and splits that up where they could all be getting into a match sooner in a 4v4 match but it does feel like 1v1 would be a valuable game mode because it's got a very different pace to 4v4 you're doing all of the stuff yourself so you don't always have time to rush the opponent's base because you're too busy trying to figure out what resources you'll need to defend your own and it feels like there's more strategy compared to the kind of 4v4 chaos that you end up getting at that stage and that's where i think in a pvp situation which i do want to try like i haven't written off legends completely because uh, i've watched some pvp matches yourself included and i've watched uh and and hung out in other uh, people's chats to get like different perspectives and stuff like that um i will say that i don't think i ever want to play against whip or green <laughs> yes uh, no i i, I entirely support be, that yeah <laughs> <laughs> they seem to be pretty pretty handily on top of things yes uh, but the things that you know i i think are or would be frustrating in a pvp match are, are not having a mini map like not having a way to see other players coming like you are basically flying blind and one good thing about the map is that there's no fog of war so when you go to look at your map you can see the whole thing like you can see yeah. the layout of what's going on you know exactly uh, where the opponent's base is all of that stuff yeah yeah exactly so in that way that's that's kind of good but then when you're in game you know like when you're when you're fighting uh you you can't see anything other than just what's in front of you because of you know you don't have a top-down view and i can see how some players would then play the game at a much wider flv to try to get as high up as you can so you can yeah. see more of a bird's eye eye view um but that again i would think would be frustrating trying to control the units in the way that they're controlled so i don't want to try some pvp i definitely don't want to try public pvp because uh, that to me that the fact that that system uh is as it has been released in pvp and that immediately the player feedback was like nope that's a bad idea mm -hmm. makes me wonder did no one test it like did no one that designed the game look at the pvp public matches and think yeah that's a good idea we'll release it like this i i feel like when stuff like that happens it's just like it's just not done like what like why is this being pushed out when you know people are going to want to play against each other. You know people are going to want to queue for public matches and they're not going to want to play with strangers because of all the things that you just outlined, you know, with recalling armies and all that kind of stuff. Like, how how is it that that isn't in the game? That seems like a real oversight to, to me. Now, good that they're addressing it. Good that it might be coming in a, in a future update. Sure. Um, 
And there are lots of games that I've played that received lots of updates to the point where I play them now and I think, man, I remember what this was like when I first played it. And I'm so glad that they've listened to the community and done all this. The difference is those games are in early access, right? They're not like a, a full release like this is. And I don't know because there hasn't been any communication that I've seen um, from the Legends team that this is meant to be an ongoing updated game like Minecraft is an ongoing updated game, you know? So there's so a couple I'm, of things. Yeah. There's, there's something I want to highlight specifically, which is one of the more positive things I can say about this as an experience is that they have a fourth option on the menu when you, you oh, open right. it up. There's there's campaign, there's versus, there's a marketplace where you can buy skins and that kind of thing. And I'm not really going to touch on that because, again, it's, it's microtransaction stuff. I understand people have opinions against that stuff. It's all cosmetic, pretty much. The stuff that isn't cosmetic, there's a third option that I thought previously was called Lost Legends and I. It's called Lost Legends and Myths. And I thought that because the text just cut off when I was looking at it on my, my footage and I didn't have time to go back and really look at that. So Lost Legends are monthly downloadable challenge maps that are created by the Legends team. And the first one is called Portal Pile. It's basically a wave survival tower defense kind of thing. There are three piglin portals surrounding a single village. You just build up your defenses and every time you take out a wave, it gives you more resources. You have 30 seconds to prepare for the next wave and then the piglins start rushing in with, you know, an escalating amount of units and escalating power level of units. But then every turn it sort of unlocks something new for you so by the fourth or fifth wave you can build scatter towers that fire three arrows instead of just one and later on you start getting the power towers that can deal incredible kind of damage or stun units or knock them back or whatever um so that kind of setup is available and these seem like they're going to be a rolling content thing the first one is free and it's all tied into the marketplace stuff so i don't know for certain whether the later ones will be paid content but either way i think if they keep those free and they keep the myths side of things paid for then i think that's a good strategy because myths are community created maps along those same lines none are currently available because the game's only been out for however long and i don't know if any teams have already been working behind the scenes with the legends team to like edit these maps um, and, and how that stuff is available, because there is no map editor as part of Minecraft Legends by default. But it seems like there's going to be an option for people who create maps for the Bedrock Marketplace to be able to produce, curate, and sell maps for Minecraft Legends through the Myths section of, of Lost Legends and Myths. So those at least will end up being a way for them to support the game with fresh content, potentially even while working on other stuff in the background although you know I, I cross my fingers at that point i can hope um i i think that's that was a really fun experience it was a little frustrating at first i i, I had a couple of attempts at the portal pile and didn't do all that well but then once i found the right strategy it was a cakewalk so i think there's there's potential for stuff like that to be to be really successful and the overall feeling I get from this is that every aspect of this game is better played cooperatively. The campaign is easier yep. if you're doing it with friends because the problem you had where suddenly you were rushed into defending a village whilst somebody else was, while you were trying to make progress into a piglin base, if you had somebody else in the map with you, then you don't have to worry about that village because they can take care of that while you return to the main objective. 
PvP is obviously going to be that way. The portal pile map, I saw some people having an absolute blast with that with just three of them playing it because they had one person who could take care of each portal. And, like, you know, you, you could communicate a little bit more. The problem, of course, being that the, I don't believe there's an option for any kind of split-screen co-op on consoles, so you do have to play from separate devices. But because it's on a lot of different consoles, your kid can be playing the Xbox on the TV, you can have the Switch on your lap, and you can be playing the same game. So there is potential for it to be a very effective co-op experience. The problem is... Right now, it doesn't seem to scale at all based on whether it's an individual playing it or a co-op thing. So, effectively, anybody who is playing this game in single player is already playing it on a harder difficulty setting than anybody who's playing with friends. And a lot of players are used to Minecraft being a single player experience. Even if they're part of a server, they're part of a server where people are from all over the world and you're not always going to be online at the same time. You're at least building your own base for some parts of that and nobody is playing Minecraft with somebody else all of the time and that's going to be the case with minecraft legends as well so i think even with there being four difficulty settings in this game it feels like people are going to be automatically playing on hard mode if they're tackling this as a solo game and that goes to to stuff that i was having frustrating times with in terms of controlling the army like you and i could jump in you could be golem guy uh for stone golems and i could be you know arrow guy with with um skeletons and going into battle communicate with one another and use and use like picks you focus on the buildings and i'll keep the minions off your back mm -hmm. and we would probably own face if that was the case because yeah. we would only have to worry about controlling one set it was you know like i would just be running around with my arrow guys and and making sure that they're attacking not structures but only piglins and only units that are threatening you and that is something that you should be able to do in a strategy game in, in single player but in this technically they say you can but i i don't think the mechanic works very well um so i i want to try some some pvp and i also um wouldn't mind doing more campaign stuff in multiplayer and as well i want to uh test out the xbox like i want to test to see if uh you know controller and you know that experience might be uh, a little different as well um i may try a little bit of time off stream I do sometimes get in my own head when I'm having a frustrating time with a game and I'm also streaming it. Yeah, I that's another that you, thing. You kind of put like a, a, a rough foot forward. Um, I can absolutely tell, you know, like my demeanor was different when you and I were on stream together versus when it was just me. So um, so there is that uh, as well. Um, the one thing that I'll, I'll say to, to wrap up is that while it is available on a multiple of different platforms, it is definitely available on PC Game Pass or Xbox Game Pass. Uh, one month of either of those is cheaper than the retail price of actually buying Legends. So if yeah. you're seeing a lot of mixed reviews, if you're listening to this and going like, well, it sounds good, but then Joel didn't like it that much. And like, if you're on the fence, like try it out on PC or Xbox Game Pass for a month. During that month, you'll have access to all kinds of other games. But it means that if you don't like it, then you didn't purchase it for no reason. And you can just like, well, it wasn't for me. And I think that's important too, is that while it it has, you know, issues, and hopefully those will be addressed. You know, like it, it is able to be patched. There was a 10 gigabyte patch that I had to load before I even played because it just, it had received a patch before launch day. Um, the thing for me is, is that uh, I think there's a lot of pressure from people that like Minecraft to then like Legends. You don't have to, 
It's yeah. a different game. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it, just because it's got the Minecraft, you know, stamp on it doesn't mean it's for you. You might get in there and just hate every minute of it. And that's fine. You know, like it just means that maybe the strategy isn't for you. I think if that's the case, um, to take Johnny's advice, um, play with a friend, you know, mm-hmm. and if you're not worried about spoilers, play with a friend that's been in it longer than you have and can kind of walk you through. Because I think that by getting tips from other people, which is unfortunately something we have to do in Minecraft as well. Um, it will make your gameplay experience that much easier. I know that my early Minecraft experience was expanded greatly by playing with Steven and by playing uh, and watching some videos online. I got it. It clicked with me a lot faster than I think uh, going into something like that um, blind would have. And I think that unfortunately, because the clarity and communication in Minecraft Legends is lacking, you're going to have to use the hive mind. Use your friends, use some content creators online that are that are sharing tips and tricks. And if you want to get into it, but you're finding it frustrating, lean on the community a little bit. I don't think you should have to. I think that's a failing of the game. But those resources are available. So use them if you got them uh, and, um, and play with friends and see if you can have some fun with it before you know, dropping the final, final axe on it. Um, I, again, I want to try PVP. Hopefully I can organize something either with you or maybe some members of, of this community or my own and, and see what we can come up with there. But, uh, I, I will reserve any kind of final judgment before I've played like all forms. Like I haven't tried the legends and, and myths part. Um, and, and I haven't tried PVP yet, but right now I think if I move forward with a campaign, if I look at my experience, I will have more fun if I play with friends. Yeah, definitely. I think all aspects of this game can be fun played with friends. And it go- going back to the Game Pass thing, like this really feels like one of those games that much like WoW or Sea of Thieves is a really great example. It's going to be one of those games that maybe six months down the line, a bunch of your friends will be like, hey, we're getting back into Minecraft Legends. You want in? And you'll play maybe the campaign. You'll play a bunch of PvP if the scene is still active and you'll just like have a blast with it for maybe a month and a half. And then you'll put right. it down and go back to whatever else you were playing, right? Like it's the same, like the same sort of nostalgia factor that gets people back into playing classic WoW when they re-release that and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think there's yeah. there's there's room for this game in that kind of get together with a bunch of buddies and steamroll through the whole campaign. I think there's room for that, and maybe that's the space this game will occupy in our whole video gaming culture in a few months' time. But for now. We'd really love to hear from anybody else who's playing Minecraft Legends. We were hoping to fit a couple of emails about Minecraft Legends into this show, but we hadn't received any, maybe still too early days. If people want to write into the show, let us know what your experience is so far. Please do. We'd love to hear you in the usual email inbox. For now, that's going to be it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat, which does have a dedicated Dungeons & Legends channel for anybody interested in discussing Minecraft spin-off games. You can also participate in the live show recording. We record this live with an audience in Discord every week, and we also have a monthly Minecraft audio hangout where people can drop in, let us know what they've been building in Minecraft this month, and share screenshots of their favourite builds. We currently have 321 patrons, which is down one from last week, but there's always room for more. Special thanks go out to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode. 
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen to The Spawn Chunks on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform, maybe even a comment on the YouTube channel. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked at thespawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorus. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where these castle building videos should be popping up on Empire's SMP sooner or later, and I will be returning to the Minecraft Survival Guide Season 2 once 1.20 arrives. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where you can see me doing the little bits and pieces of castle building that'll end up in the time lapses on YouTube. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online is linked at joelduggan.com. You can find my other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, about sci-fi and entertainment. Uh, sorry, you can find my podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment uh, there as well. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media, as well as Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream every day but Monday. Lego Fridays, Minecraft the rest of the time. And very important note, this Friday coming is going to be a Lego unboxing. I have received a number of birthday presents from a very generous community, and I'll be revealing what they are because I have no idea uh, live on stream on Friday. And so check that out. Uh, the rest of the time we'll be working on West Hill on the Citadel. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and some legends deserve to be retold.